0: Uh, Hello, ridiculously good-looking people. (laughs) Maybe just turn to someone beside you and say, she's talking about you. I'm holding out for a hero. You know, I love this series, and uh, I have three boys at home, so you know, I'm I am not new at superhero conversations. Uh, a hero of mine, Muhammad Ali, you know, floats like a butterfly, stings like a bee. And uh, one of my favorite stories about Muhammad Ali is uh, he was on a plane, he was going somewhere, and the uh, they were about to take off. So you know, the announcement comes over the speaker, you know, please fasten your seatbelts and put your tray tables up, and. Muhammad Ali, you know, he just doesn't make a move. And they they do the announcement again, and then finally a flight attendant comes over and says, I'm sorry, Mr. Ali, but before the pilot will take this plane off, you're gonna have to do up your seatbelt. Muhammad Ali looks at her, says, Superman, don't need no seatbelt. (laughs) And she looks right back at him and says, Superman, don't need no airplane either. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I want to talk a little bit about a hero you know being a hero is not sort of thinking you're better than you are you know that's not what being a hero is being a hero and heroes are people who use what they have for other people you know I mean Mother Teresa used to say that she, a BBC reporter was following her around and and he was an atheist and he said to her you know after watching her for the day he said I just can't understand how you can believe in a God who would allow such terrible poverty to exist in the world Mother Teresa says to him, you know, don't you go blaming poverty on God. She said, terrible poverty exists in the world simply because God's children refuse to share. You know, only only Mother Teresa can school a BBC atheist reporter, right? But this this idea that actually being a hero is not something like, you know, superhuman. It's actually something very human. It's this possibility. It's people who use what they have for other people. And I wanna talk to you about a a story uh, Jesus uh, about Jesus in Luke chapter nine, uh, starting at verse 10. It's, I, I love reading stories about Jesus because Jesus is always showing us how to be a hero. I mean, he's always showing us how to be a human being who uses what they have uh, to help other people. This is kind of Jesus's main ministry. And, uh, and this is how it goes. Uh, when the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they'd done. And then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him and he welcomed them and he taught them about the kingdom of God and he healed all those who were sick. And late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and they said, send the crowds away to like nearby villages and farms so they could find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat in this remote place. You can kind of feel the panic of the disciples. I mean, I don't know about you, but in this story, you can kind of like, you know, it reminds me of this guy in this northern village in Canada I used to live in, and he was uh, he used to call himself Redneck Al, <laughs> and and when the year 2000 came around, do you remember anyone here born in that era where the year U- 2000 came around, and everyone was terrified because the computer systems were gonna you know shut down and the world was gonna collapse, and it was like the millennium, and everyone was just like, it's all gonna, and I remember uh, Redneck Al, you know, he came to me and he goes, Danielle, don't worry about it, I got a farm. I got a generator, I got a safe room. He said, like, I got, I, got, I got everything. I got supplies, I got food. It's all, you're welcome in my safe house. I'm like, oh, fantastic, so I, even, I even bought some new ammo for my shotgun. I said, oh, <laughs> that's nice. I said, why do you need more ammo for your shotgun? And he looks at me, just deadpan serious. He says, you ever seen people when they get hungry? <laughs> it was a precursor to The Walking Dead, you know, but... I I thought to myself immediately, thank God I'm on his side. You know what I mean? But this is, it's it's sort of this panic that sets in. These people sort of going, these guys are going to start getting hungry. Like this is getting a little out of control. Like this was supposed to be our private time with Jesus. Like what's going on? And Jesus turns to them and says, this This is absolutely fantastic. Jesus turns to them and he says, you feed them. (laughs) Isn't that great? He just, in in one account, in another gospel, it actually says in parenthesis, he said this to test them. (laughs) You think? Uh, It's awesome. And then they just start panicking, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. They answered, are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? You know, we'd have to work for a whole year to do that. There's about 5,000 men there, the scripture says. That means there's women there too, and they're even hungrier than the men. Right, and this is, I mean, this is this, this beautiful invitation that Jesus gives to his disciples over and over and over again. You feed them. You feed them. This is your job. This is, I mean, this is what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. This is what it means to represent God on the earth. You feed them. And it's reminding the disciples of another story. You know, one of the most epic stories ever written is the Exodus story. And, uh, and Moses, you know, you'll know this. I, I named my uh, youngest son Moses. And we've been practicing for his whole life. He's five now. But we've been practicing this whole thing. I always say to him, you know, when you get to Pharaoh, what are you going to say? <laughs> and Moses is like, let my people go and I I literally I just started taking him on the road with me and we like just do it you know and I'm just like let's just pray now you know like the message has been given you know and this is this this Moses who who is this like great hero of the Hebrews I mean he's a hero of the heroes I mean we're still Hollywood's still producing movies about the Exodus story you know it's that epic and we know that he grew up in Egypt and 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 he tried in his own power to sort of do something and it didn't work and he went to the desert and and he kind of just like you know, became a shepherd, you know, and he started his life again and his life was really good. And according to Disney, he was singing all the time and his father-in-law was awesome, you know, and they were building a tapestry. It was cool. And, and then this burning bush happens and, and God encounters, you know, Moses. is like, hey, Moses, remember me? You know, it's me. I am that I am. It's Yahweh. This is like, I've heard the cries of my people, which is just a beautiful way to remember who God is. It's not something God does. It's something God is. He hears the cry of his people. Can you imagine how much he must be hearing in today's world? He hears the cry of the oppressed, the scripture says. one of the characteristics of God. And he says, I'm I'm actually, I'm calling you to go and set them free. And then all of chapter three of Exodus, you can read is Moses going, you got the wrong guy. I mean, literally, all of chapter three is like Moses, like, but I can't do this, and I'm not this, and I tried before, and it didn't work, and like, I'm not the right guy. I'm a shepherd. I'm in Midian. I'm with the singing father-in-law. Like, I'm busy. I like, I got a wife. I'm like, I, like, I'm not the guy. And he's just arguing and arguing. I'm pretty sure in the middle of that chapter, God Himself was thinking to Himself, "I should have picked a woman." <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm just, I'm not making this up. You read your Bibles for yourself, like. Whenever God picks a woman, you know, there's never a fight. You ever notice that? Like, let's say, I don't know, let's just pick a random person, like, I don't know, a young teenage girl who needs to bear a child with, you know, in a miracle, like a virgin, and it might cost her the rest of her life, you know, and, and an angel comes to her and says, you know, I've chosen you. You're the chosen one, and we're needing you to do something that's, like, actually impossible to do and probably will uh, result in your death. And, you know, Mary literally says, may it be to me as the Lord has spoken. <laughs> You know But Moses, not so much. Moses is a little bit more like you and me, maybe, right? Just like this cannot, this is not this is not going to work. So finally, they just get past the why question, which is really good, by the way. if you're stuck in the why me, that's an endless cycle. You might wanna just stop that, that, that question. is has an endless cycle. I, I still can't answer the question, why me, right? It's just an endless cycle, but they get to the how question. Moses finally just gets past the why me question and he gets to the how question. He says, okay, 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 okay fine. You're, you're calling me, obviously you're here. It's a burning bush. I'm hearing from God, like something's going on here. That's fine, but how is it gonna happen? How are you gonna do it? Like how, how, what's the plan, you know? And God literally says, Exodus four, verse one, this is what God says to Moses, what's in your hand? It's so great, you know? And Moses, I can just picture him, he's standing there, you know, he's just like, what's in my hand? And he like looks over, he's like, oh, this, it's a stick. You know, like all the shepherds have one. said, <laughs> this is the latest model, you know? And I like actually, like I, I initialed my wife's, you know, like the day that we started dating on the, you know, like this is a stick. We use it to like hit sheep or something. I don't, I don't know, I'm not, you know, who knows? But anyway, I got this shepherd's staff. That's what the scripture says. And God's like, that's perfect. What? You want me to take on the world's greatest superpower? Like you want me to confront Pharaoh? You want me to like, you know, undo all of this oppression and free a whole people group with a stick? And Jesus said, the disciples, you know, you hear this again. And they're just like, "We, there's 5,000 men here. You know, like there's too many people they are gonna get hungry. And we don't have, you know, Redneck Al here with a shotgun, like, what are we gonna do? And Jesus says, I don't know, what have you got? What have you got? And this is, a, this is a key scriptural principle that heroes are people who use what they have for others. This is, this is what God is constantly asking over and over and over again. You can keep reading the scriptures. You'll see this principle over and over again. What do you have? What's in your hand? Yeah, I remember this uh, story. It just, it really fills me with joy every time I say it. So I say it, you know, because it's just so much fun. But I was stationed in Australia with the Salvation Army as a social justice secretary. And, and I'm, part of my job was to try to combat uh, sexual exploitation and human trafficking and uh, get women out of prostitution and out of the sex industry. And in Australia, it was particularly difficult because they legalized the sex industry. So they had sort of normalized it. So you would have, in every neighborhood, you would have sort of 7-Eleven, in, and like a dry cleaners and then you'd have a brothel. And, uh, and so it was really hard. I remember sitting at my desk with a team of people just going like, how are we gonna get into this indoor legalized part? Like, what are we gonna do? And I got this phone call from this uh, retired Baptist lady, Jan. I remember her calling me. She knew my, she, I knew her daughter. She said, I, I gotta meet you for coffee. I really have to talk to you about something important. I thought to myself, okay, fine. So we met for coffee in this beautiful suburb in, in Melbourne and we're having a coffee. And she says, you know, My phone number is only two digits different than my local brothel's phone number. So she said, I keep getting these calls. She said, I don't like them. They're disturbing me. She said, one time my husband even got a call and then we just were like, this is it. So she said, I decided I was gonna change my number. She said, on the day I was gonna go down to the phone company to change my number, she said, I was reading my Bible and I felt God talk to me. God interrupted me while I was reading the Bible. I said, how rude unbelievable. And she said, I felt God speak to me saying, Jen, why are you changing your number? And Jen said, well, I keep getting those calls. Like it's uncomfortable. It's disturbing. Like it's, it's, it's wrecking my day, you know, like that's why. And Jen, and she said, I felt God say, yeah, I know about the calls. So why are you changing your number? And she said, "Ah, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I feel like God wants me to do something about it instead of avoiding it, but I don't know what to do. So that's why I'm having coffee with you today. She said, I need you to tell me, what do I do? Now on the inside, here's how it's going for me. I don't know. (laughs) That's how it's going. On the inside, I'm like, I don't know. You're like a retired Baptist lady. I don't know what to do for you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, I don't know. Like this isn't, but on the outside, I'm a good Christian leader. So this is how it looks interesting problem you have jan (laughs) right i just play the yoda card that's like the best thing to do if you like need to like fake it a little longer just like ask some questions so i just started asking jan some questions i said jan what would you normally do like if someone was in an accident on your street or a neighbor was having a problem or someone new moved into your neighborhood what would you just normally do she said oh that's easy danielle i would bake some cupcakes and i would go over introduce myself i said that's it She said, what's it? I said, that's it. Bake some cupcakes and we'll go introduce ourselves. How does Tuesday work for you? She said, what? Like, that's the strategy? I said, it sure is. That's the strategy. So we meet on Tuesday. I said, you're going to have to bake because that's not in my job description. But like... And also, I don't have the skills. But like, so she bakes these cupcakes and we meet together on Tuesday morning. We pray together at the Salvation Army headquarters. It's just a block away is this brothel. And then we're gonna like march over to the brothel. And uh, she says to me, we're, after we pray, she said, you know, God spoke to me again this weekend. I said, gee, this is becoming a habit, you know. And she said, he told me, you know, I felt like he wanted me to do this by myself. I said, are you kidding me? I'm the professional. <laughs> and she looked at me, I'll never forget. And she said, yeah, but... I'm the neighbor. Boom. I mean, people understand in scripture, in the kingdom of God, neighbor trumps professional every time. I mean, every single time. So anyway, I'm like, okay, fine, but you're not going by yourself because like first I live for this and also I really shouldn't let a, a retired lady die on my watch. So so we like go, we head to this brothel, it was an Asian brothel and, and and I'm just like prayer, like my prayer life just increased by exponentially. You know, like I just like launching bombs of like protection, you know, I'm just like, God, please release your angels to protect this property. And I'm like, go now, Jan, go now. You know, I got you covered. And so Jan's like, was like, go up the, the steps of this. Asian brothel, I'll never forget it. It was like the funniest thing. And she's just like, she knocks on the door. She's like shaking, you know, like this is the craziest thing she's ever done. And the the manager opens the door because she's not like their normal clientele. So he says, can I help you? You know, like, are you lost? You know, like what's going on? And she literally, this is what she did. She went, I brought cupcakes. (laughs) And I remember in my mind seeing this like cosmic demonic spirit of sexual exploitation over Australia going, no. Not the cupcakes! because this, this manager is just like, oh, cupcakes, come on in, you know, just, and in she goes, and she meets all the girls, and she learns their names, and she gives them all cupcakes, and she says, I'll see you next Tuesday, you know, I'm your neighbor, I'm sorry it took me so long to get here, I'm so pleased to meet you, and she comes out of this brothel, you know, 10 feet off the ground, literally like levitating, just like, I'm amazing, and i was just like, that's incredible, and I like run back to the headquarters, I remember it, I called 10 of my selfish Army friends, and I said to them, quick, we got to get organized, the Baptists are going to beat us to the brothels (laughs) and we did we launched 10 teams they're just like how are we going to do it I'm like who bakes does anybody bake (laughs) I didn't know it but baked goods are the secret to brothel invasions you know what I mean it was just incredible now they visit 68 brothels every single week in 12 different cities in 10 different languages they've stopped trafficking rings they've witnessed before parliament I mean all of these things began and started this strategy started by one grandma A retired Baptist lady who chose to use what she had for somebody else who responded to God by saying, this is what I, what this cup, cupcakes, really cupcakes, a shepherd's staff, some fish and some bread for real life. This is, this is the strategy and this is the strategy. This is literally how you become a hero is you use what you have for somebody else. This is God's strategy. It's always been God's strategy. Now, this is the deal. I used to think this was God's strategy. He would use what you had in your hand in spite of you. But this was before I understood God a little bit better. Now I understand that God doesn't even just want to use what's in your hand. He wants to use you. (laughs) He wants to use who you are. That it's not in spite of who you are. It's because of who you are that God wants to use what's in your hand. It's because of who you are are that God wants to use what's in your hand. You remember my, my son, Judah, he's superhero crazy. And I was having coffee. He's about four or five years old. We were having coffee in the living room with a friend of mine. And he comes running in out of his room and he jumps on the ottoman and he's like dressed like Superman, you know, and he's like, ta-da! it's superman and we're all like hey it's superman you know and he goes back into his room and he changes and he comes out he jumps on the he goes ta-da i'm iron man you know we're like hey you're iron man you're iron man he goes back to his room and my friend says how long is this gonna be and i said well he's got the whole avenger series so we could be a while you know but he gets through a few more and finally he's out of like suits, you know, and he comes running in the living room. I'll never forget in his little tidy whities you know, just his a little, little pair of underwear on and he's like a skinny little kid and he jumps up on the ottoman and he's like, ta-da! And we're like, ah, it's, you know, your... And he says, it's me, Judah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's right. He's right. See, he's a hero. And this, this, is, this is the deal is we keep wanting to dress ourselves up or pretend like we're something we're not or, or wait for moments that we're more equipped or like we're more ready or we're more realized or when we have that degree or when we're married to the perfect spouse, good luck with that. And you know it just goes on or we're part of a church or we're finally ordained or we're like, I mean, this, the list is endless, isn't it? It's just endless. And then then we'll be ready. Then we'll have the right outfit. Then we'll be the right people. But this is not how it works. This isn't what God's looking for. Like there's this beautiful verse that sums this up in 2 Corinthians. The apostle Paul uh, talks about this. He says, you know, we have this incredible revelation of who God is, that that he's the God who hears the cry of the oppressed, that he's a God who's present in times of suffering, that he's the God who is enough, that he's a God who can feed hungry people, that he's a God who can share with people who don't have enough, that this is his character. This is what he's like. And this is what we are, little Christs in the world trying to represent God well, you know? And and this is, Paul says, we have this secret, we have this glory, we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. And and we know this, we know, we feel ordinary. I mean, all of us who wake up in the morning, you know, we don't wake up singing like, I'm a hero. (laughs) We wake up kind of stumbling to the bathroom, you know, like, is it that time already? And and, and so we think it's in spite, but then listen, this is what Paul says. This makes it clear. This makes it clear. This is a strategy. This isn't by mistake. This isn't in spite of who you are. The fact that you are who you are, that you're a grandma or you're a student or you're a kid or you're ordinary, the fact that you are who you are makes it clear that this great power is from God and not from us. See, this is part of the strategy that God has is creating these people who do these extraordinary things who are able to to do even ordinary things with extraordinary power so that the world might know that this great power comes from God and not from us you see it's a strategy that God doesn't call you in spite of who you are he calls you because of who you are Tada! it's you it's you And that's what really, really matters. I remember when I discovered this in my own life. I remember I I went on this mission trip. I was a juvenile delinquent, so I just got out of treatment. And I had to get special permission from my probation officer to let me out, you know, to go on this mission trip to Africa. It's okay, I'm reformed now. You can, don't be so nervous, but. (laughs) Well, I'm mostly reformed. But anyway, so. So I, I go on this mission trip and I found this like interdenominational mission uh, organization that would take me. And, and I thought the Salvation Army had a lot of rules and regulations, you know, and I had some issues with authority. And, but I found this mission organization that was even worse, you know, or better, depending on how you look at it. And so I went and they just had all these rules. And if you didn't keep the rules and do what they said, you got what was called an SB. And an SB stood for special blessing. And a special blessing meant that you could work on your free time. And so I was specially blessed every day for like the entire summer. They call me the SB queen, you know? And you could wrap those special blessings up like several in a day, but you could only work off one a day. So I just was like filled with special blessings the whole summer long. And so finally I had this day, I remember, where I didn't have a special blessing and I actually could get some free time. And I was really looking forward to it. And on that day, they gave us an assignment. We had to find somebody on the streets, a stranger that we didn't know, and we had to tell them about God. And they gave us this little like tract, you know, to tell them about God. And I was just like, there's no way I'm doing that. And then I was like, I've got free time. So I proceeded to find this young girl named Fatima and I proceeded to give her the world's worst gospel presentation. I kid you not. I went like this. God loves you. Sweet. You're a sinner. Bummer. You know, Jesus died. Awesome. You want to follow him, you know? And I remember Fatima looking at me going, yeah, okay. And I remember saying, oh, I don't think you heard it right. So I went to the beginning. And this time I didn't just read the headings, I read the paragraph underneath describing the situation. So this time, I, and then I remember getting to the end, I said, so you wanna follow God? And by following God, what I mean is blah, 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 blah. And then she looks at me and she goes, yeah, yeah, I really would. I remember saying, i don't think you got it so i went to the i went through it again this time i read the heading and then i read the paragraph and then i read the little tiny print you know like this is taken from the niv version just in case that would throw her off you know and then there's like a little diagram in the middle i acted out the entire diagram you know just to make sure there was no cultural problems you know she totally and then at the end finally like three or four times through this presentation i finally let fatima give her heart to god it it was kind of me You know the the next day i was reading my bible because well i had to and um and when i was reading my bible i remember i just couldn't even read i just remember these tears coming down my face i just remember like what's going on and i realized something that would change my life forever actually it would literally change the trajectory of my life for the rest of my life i realized that i knew god could save fatima i understood it I knew it. I realized, I knew that. I knew that God could save Fatima, that there's nothing too hard for God to do. I understand. He saved me. This is big. You know, like that that was hard, you know, and he did it. He got through where only he could get through. I knew that God could do it, but what I didn't know that would change my life forever is that God could use me to save Fatima. You know, in the Salvation Army, the tradition I'm a part of, we usually wear uniforms. You know, we have these super suits. They're very official looking. And we wear these S's on our collars. And there's a lot of controversy about what the S's mean. People, people have told me all kinds of things. My kids are convinced it means super suit. You know, I had a drunk, inebriated friend at a homeless shelter one time who came down the stairs and looked at me in my uniform and he said, what do those S's mean? Sexy soldier. <laughs> I said, they do now. <laughs> But what they actually mean is that you're saved from something. You know, you've been saved from something. You've been saved from fear or addiction or guilt. You've been saved from purposelessness or narcissism or selfishness. You've been saved from something. And, but that, that's not the whole story. That's not the whole story. You've been saved from something and you've been saved for something. You understand salvation is not just something that happens to get you out of something, it's, ha- it's something that happens to get you into something. It's, it's this beautiful invitation that God has. He's saying, I'm hearing the cries of the oppressed, I'm seeing the situation in the world and I need some people. <laughs> Actually, you'll be perfect. And you'll say like, like Moses, but I'm not the right, I don't talk well, like I can't do this well and I'm not this and I'm not qualified and I'm not the, and, he, and he'll say, yeah, but what do you got? What's in your hand? Let's just start with what you have. But it won't just stop there. It won't just be because of what you have. It'll be strategically because of who you are. Because as God uses what you have and who you are for other people, it'll be a demonstration of God's power on the earth. Then people will know that this God is up to something in the world. Then people will know that this great salvation comes from him and not from us. Recently, I was in um, Lebanon. I was having a, a great... Uh, visit with the organization called Heart for Lebanon, which is Lebanese Christians that are ministering to the Syrian refugees. There, just a crisis, you know, Syrians just fleeing, just terrible things over the border, over the mountains into Lebanon. Lebanon, of course, is, was uh, the arch enemy of the Syrians. I mean, the Syrians occupied Lebanon for years, destroying the infrastructure of the country. So you can't find very many Lebanese people that think the Syrians deserve some help, you know, except Christian Lebanese people who, because Jesus said to them, look, I hear the cries of the oppressed. There's some people who need some help. And they're like, not us, not us. We're not the right people. We're their enemies. And God's like, that's exactly it. That's exactly right. I want you to go. And I remember being uh, visiting this one uh, Syrian refugee family. We're in this like tent, this makeshift tent. And there's this whole generations of, of Muslim Syrians there. And there's this little girl, she's nine years old. And she goes to the school that Heart for Lebanon runs. Cause when God asked Heart for Lebanon what they had, they had some teachers and they had a building. And, and what Syrian kids need, when you're looking at a life without a future, when you're looking at a life without like any infrastructure or any country to return to, you're looking at like a hopelessness. And so what they decided to do was offer an education for the future of their kids. So they're offering these schools. So this little nine-year-old went to school and I'm sitting talking to the family and the families literally they're talking to us and they're just saying we sent our nine-year-old girl to the school and we were worried because she was suffering so much trauma. They said that she was so, she was mean-spirited. She was angry all the time. She was just so difficult. They thought for sure that the school would send her home. They didn't think there was much hope for her because she'd been so traumatized in the situation that she was in. But they said what actually started to happen was she would come back from school different. Like every day, they said she got kinder. Every day she got softer. Every day she got like different. She became different, this nine-year-old girl. And finally she said, the mother said, I asked her, what's going on at the school? What are they teaching you there? Like, how are you, how are you acting like this after what we know and all that's happened and how you used to act? And the nine-year-old girl says, oh, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. I asked Jesus to come into my life and I feel like he's healed my heart and he's teaching me how to forgive and he's teaching me. And so I'm sitting in this with this family in this tent in, in Lebanon, homeless with this like, this flimsy, poor, and multi-generational family. And the mother is there and she's saying to the, the, the Heart for Lebanon people, can you please tell us more about Jesus? Because whatever this nine year old kid has experienced, whatever's been happening to her, we'd like some of that, please. We all could use some healing. We all could use some forgiveness. We all could use some transformation. Isn't it amazing, a nine-year-old girl being a transforming influence and multi-generation Muslim family. And that day we were able to lead that family to Jesus, to healing, to forgiveness, to a new way that God might actually do a new thing in, in impossible places and that God would use a nine-year-old girl. Is there anybody he can't use? Is there anybody who's outside of the capacity to demonstrate what God is like in the flesh? I mean, isn't this amazing? And one of the ways this happens in the world is it always happens in those places where we're kind of most afraid, you know, where we're most disturbed. Those places, you know, when we get the phone call from the local brothel, or like the people across the street are just a nuisance, you know, or it's always, it's those places where we feel most afraid, like what, me, do that? I couldn't possibly what like Lebanese, Lebanese people, God inviting them to minister to their enemies. You know, I remember talking to the organization leader and he was just like, it took us some time to actually get to the place where in our hearts, we could forgive what had happened in our own personal trauma. And we could go to our enemies camp and we could say, is there anything we can do for you? We see your suffering. It's not just what they had that God wanted to use. It was who they were that God wanted to use. And this is the same thing for you. He's calling his people He is still the same God who hears the cries of the oppressed. He's still the same God who's hearing, he knows, and he's looking for people who will do something. 28 million slaves right now in the world today, the largest in our history. He's looking for some people. He hears those cries. He's saying, who's ready? And then thus begins the argument. It can't be me, it can't be me. You've got the wrong person, you've got the wrong person. How is this gonna work? And God's gonna say to you, what have you got? Let's start with that. And then let's move to who you are. And then let's see the glory of God come, demonstrating that this great power, this great work, this great light, this great strength, this great courage, this great kindness, this great generosity, this great willingness, this comes from God and not from us. Isn't it incredible, the plan that God has? and that it involves you see heroes are people who use what they have and who they are for others let me pray for you i'm just going to invite you to actually take your hands if you feel comfortable with this and just put them in front of you maybe clench them and just take a couple minutes to think about what you have. Yes, you're like anybody in this world, you've been taught to keep it, not to give it. <laughs> you've been taught that it's yours. And there's a lot of fear around unclenching our hands and opening them up for God to use what we have. But there's also great possibility there there's great opportunity there. I, I just want you to take a couple minutes just to say, God, I might not have much. Maybe it's two fish, five pieces of bread. Maybe it's some capacity to teach. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a witness. Maybe it's some money. Maybe it's some resource. Maybe it's some skill. Maybe it's some baked goods. doesn't much matter. What matters is your willingness to offer it. And as you feel ready, I just invite you to just open your hands. And we just say, God, right now in this place, we want to be an open-handed people. We want to say that we want to offer what we have. We wanna give what is ours. We wanna give even who we are for others. We wanna be the hero you've been calling us to be. We pray that you would teach us this great beautiful rhythm of your kingdom freely we've received and now freely we give. And we pray it would matter, it would matter.